listening to another powerful message from C3 Southwest Washington. We are so excited you're here with us, and we believe God has more in store for you. Great to be in God's house. Great job, Jordan. Did you notice that Jordan uh, talked about getting his education at university? He was educated abroad in a different, he went to school. Jordan, was it in Germany? So uh, in uh, different countries, they don't go to the hospital. They go to hospital. They don't go to the university. They go to university. So that's how you can tell somebody who's been traveled. Plus, uh, it's not because I've been to other countries. It's just because... I listen to British uh, broadcasting, and it's fascinating to me. Uh, appreciate Jordan's message. What a great truth that is. Put your faith in God, who is your provider. And continue to be generous to the people around you, but also be generous in returning what God has given, a portion of what God's given to you. And it allows the church to be able to function and do what we do. Uh, this building costs us to the tune of about eight, $9,000 a month. Just what it, it's the cost to do church. And uh, your faithful giving means that we've never been late on a payment. Uh, we always pay our bills on time. We would, we would come up with a way. We'd bake some cookies. We'd talk with Sandy. We'd open a business. There would be something we would do. Uh, but thank God we don't have to do that. Your generosity makes that possible, especially those of you who have learned that process of tithing, taking a tenth of your income and returning it to the Lord for there to be bread in his house. And those of you who learned to give generous offerings, you're, uh, you're one of the reasons why we were able to do that. Um, guys, men specifically, I'm coming for you, okay? In a couple of weeks, we've got a men's conference up at Hope Village. It's not actually at their church. It's at uh, Black Diamond Camp. Uh, we'll be staying in uh, cabins that, there with, with a ton of guys. I think they have several hundred guys already signed up. We've got several guys signed up. We're coming. I'm going to be contacting each and every one of you guys. You'll probably hear from Jay or Josh or one of the other guys. We want you to come out. This will not be uh, flower arrangements and doilies. No disrespect to those things. But I can tell you, Drew's a guy. It will probably be having axe throwing competitions, hearing the word of God, uh, arm wrestling, and I plan to come home the champion of all those things. <laughs> well, you can't beat me if you don't go, can you? <laughs> right? Okay. All right, so we're in a series entitled Pneumatic Believers, and I want to read this portion of scripture to you, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. It says, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The Bible challenges us in multiple places to be filled with the Spirit. And it's important to notice how that comes across because it lets you know that there is something available to you. God would never tell you to experience something that's not available to all of us. Everyone in this room, as a believer, you have available to you an infilling of the Spirit. Second thing I notice about this command, it's it really, you are the gatekeeper of this experience. It's something that God desires to do, but the command is for you to be filled. It's it's kind of one of those things where you can open the gate and allow the infilling of that spirit, which also we looked at in the Greek a few weeks ago, was pneuma, like pneumatic. It's the idea of being spirit-filled believers, of being spirit-led believers, of being propelled by the wind of God that reaches into our sail and allows us to be guided along into the best things that God has for us. So hand over your heart. Let me pray for you that we can achieve and experience all that God has for us as his spirit breathes across our life. Father, we thank you for your promise in the scripture. You said, if we ask for the Holy Spirit, 
you are a good father and you would give us that spirit, him. And so Holy Spirit, we invite you right now to fill our lives to a greater capacity. Teach us how to be filled. Teach us to recognize when we're airless, when we're dry, when we're out of that pneumatic experience and to step back into it so that we won't do this life in our own strength. We thank you that we have a helper and it's you, Holy Spirit. Help me today, help us today to step into a new realm with you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and everyone said amen and amen. Give the Lord a big hand before you're seated. And you can grab your Bible, and of course, my notes are available online, um, and you'll be able to pull those up. Again, take advantage of that, do some additional study. I know I never get to everything that's in the notes, and probably there's some moments where you're like, where was he going with that, and why didn't he finish? Uh, I'm very famous for starting a story and never finishing it at the end. I don't know if you'll find that in my notes, but you certainly find all the scriptures more than I could uh, ever give to you. Um, You know, the... Growing up, I had an understanding of God the Father, and I also had an understanding of Jesus. The only time the church I went to ever talked about Jesus was when he was born on Christmas Eve, and they also would talk to him about him on Easter, which was Resurrection Day. So for me, if you were thinking about God, the whole pie of God, God the Father was about 97% of everything. And then there was this little wedge for Jesus, like he's, he's an important part of God, but we'd only talk about him a couple times a year. And then if there was anything about the narrowest slice for the Holy Spirit that I never heard about except for in old songs that we sang, and I remember wondering, what a, why does God need a spirit? Does he need to spook things? Does he need to float around in haunted houses to get the evil spirits out? What is, what is this Holy Spirit, this Holy Ghost even about? And I got a full immersion into the experience the night I gave my life to Jesus. I found out that while God is God and he's 100%, 100%, that Jesus is the main thing. For you and I, without Jesus, we can't even have a relationship with God. And those curtains opened up for me the night I walked into a real church that preached the word of God instead of just gathering for a, you know, a, a collective group and hang out and bake sales and talk a little bit about God. When they introduced me to this Jesus who was alive, who died for me so that his payment for my sin would wipe away my sin and allow me to step unjudged before God the Father and be received as a son, I realized that, wow, Jesus is way more than just Easter and Christmas. And I began my relationship with Jesus by stepping across that line and beginning the process of following. But what I was quickly also introduced was a new emphasis on the Holy Spirit. In fact, it was very confusing to me. Some of the words that were being used and some of the dialogue. That, that night when I gave my life to Jesus, they asked me a few questions. I had no, no earthly idea how to answer. They asked me, did you get it? And I, I, did I get what? I know something had happened. I knew I said yes to Jesus, but they were talking about something else that I didn't understand. And they were talking about the Holy Spirit. And I remember being very confused, but beginning to read the Bible and beginning to discover this idea that as Jesus is leaving this earth, as he's ascending back to right now at the right hand of the Father, he actually looked at the disciples, which include you and I who are followers, and he said, you know what, it's good that I go away. Now, having just met Jesus back that some 
you know, 1985, I can't even do the math, the numbers are getting too big at this point. Um, I, 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 I can remember, and I've thought of this often in my lifetime, wouldn't it be great if Jesus were right here like he was with the disciples? Like he could look me in the eye and say, hey, no, we're going to go over there. Don't go over there. We're going to go over here. And I would know with all good confidence, because I can see him, that I'm going the right way. And then if I did something wrong, he'd be like, adjust me. And I just wouldn't have to worry about any of this. I would be able to follow him because he's right here. That seems like it would be a great idea, except for when Abby needs his attention, needs to know if she's going the right direction, Jesus would have to leave me and go over and have a conversation with her, and then would have to switch over and have a conversation with Joe, who's you know, looking for direction, needs the answer to a test that he studied mostly for, but can't remember quite the answer, and wants to get his license someday. And so the, Jesus would have to run over all the way down uh, into Oregon to talk with Joe, and then there would be you know, uh, Chris would be like, which lure do I use while I'm guiding this fishing trip today? Lord, I don't need to, I'm not looking to be lucky. I'm looking to be blessed. And so, you know, Jesus would have to run all the way from southern to middle or, or northern Oregon, all the way to the secret meat hole out on the river to show Chris which lure to use. So all that to say that Jesus was saying, it's actually good that I'm going away because I'm not able to be with all of you at the same time, and I have to eat, and I have to sleep, and I have to rest, and I have to pray. But as I'm ascending to the Father, I'm going to give you this promise. I'm going to send my spirit, the ultimate helper, me, but with you 24-7, and you, Dave, 24-7, and with you 24-7, and with you 24-7, and with you 24-7, and, and the Holy Spirit, he doesn't need to sleep, he doesn't need to eat, he's not having a tough day, he's not being persecuted by anyone that it even phases him at all. He could be in all places at all things and talk directly to each one of us on a way, in a way that we can understand and give us the information that each of us individually need. And so what I'm so glad is stepping into this understanding is that while, yes, I look forward to seeing Jesus someday face to face, but I have the Holy Spirit to help me and to lead and guide my life. In fact, he's the one on that night where, boom, the curtains open. I was like, God is real. Not, not someday after I die, but he's real for my life right here and right now. I couldn't even understand that without him opening the curtain. The Holy Spirit peeled the scales off my eyes that would keep me from seeing the truth of Jesus, and he's the one that helped me to see the truth of Christ dying for me. From that first moment, it was like wind breathing across the deck of a boat whose sail had never been hoisted before. He helped to hoist the sail and unfurl it as he breathed across the bow of the, my, my stagnant ship in life, and he brought life to that sail. And for the first time, I could feel God in my life. The Holy Spirit was the one who did that. He is the active one on this earth. In fact, you and I, we talk about God, we pray to God, we know details about Jesus, and so often we talk about following Jesus, which is what we're doing, but the reality is none of that's possible without the Holy Spirit. All that you've ever experienced on this earth really has been the work of the Holy Spirit. Every miracle that's ever happened, every prayer that you've effectively prayed, every, every, every moment where breakthrough has happened, that's been the work of the Holy Spirit. 
And I wanna challenge you to lean in during this series to really take a look at if this is a, a pie wedge, have you been relegating to the Holy Spirit a little tiny sliver that says, oh, he's probably really cool for some things that I don't really understand at this point. The Holy Spirit is the actual hands-on, tangible presence of God at work in our lives. And what's so unfortunate, and I'm just gonna make a blanket statement that's maybe a little bit too much, but when we look at the Pacific Northwest and we look at the churches and we look at the gospel being preached, I would say that overall, compared to a lot of other places, the Holy Spirit has been relegated to a tiny, tiny sliver in believers' experience. So many people, and this doesn't mean that we're better than anybody else. There's a lot of churches that do definitely move in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, and invite people to engage the Spirit of God. I'm just telling you that without the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to muscle your way through, and you don't have the musculature that's necessary. That's just the fact. When life is feeling hard, when prayer feels difficult, when worship feels dry, when reading your Bible feels like just a bunch of historical words, mark it down, you're doing it in your own flesh. When you're trying to figure out what's the answer, and oh God, and you just believe that, oh, there's no way to really know God. I, I, want, I want to tell you, something's missing in your experience, and it's probably the Holy Spirit. Because once you embrace the Holy Spirit and learn how to walk with him, like the scripture challenges us to be filled with the Spirit, you will find that there is a, there's help, tangible, sensed help. Not like, oh, I think this is working. It's kind of magic. I'll cross my fingers. It's a confidence, a sense. God is with me and God is helping me. And he's not necessarily carrying me, but he's pushing me as I run, guiding me to where I need to go. And so again, my challenge for you is if you've relegated just to that little slice in the big piece, the Holy Spirit, I would say invert that pie, okay? Less crust, a lot more filling, and step into what God has for you. And let's make this a season of doing that corporately as a church family. Um, if I were to make the statement to you, this car is hot, I actually might be saying one of three different things. Imagine that it's the summertime. I got a new car parked out in the driveway out there. I say, I'm going to give you the keys to it. And baby, this car is hot. I could be saying one of three things. I could be saying that this car is awesome or cool or fleek or whatever new thing you, you cool kids are saying these days. Okay. Back when I was a teenager, it was super, super radical awesome. You know, it was like some level of awesome. <laughs> I could be saying it's a really cool car, right? I could also be saying that uh, I haven't rolled down the windows in that car, so when you go to sit on the pleather, it's going to burn your legs. It could be temperature hot. Be careful. Or I could be saying this car is hot if you see the police accelerate and get out of here. And so me making the statement that a car is really hot, if you think I'm talking about one thing, but I'm meaning another thing, it could be very confusing for everybody. And the truth is, when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit in the scripture, there are literally three different contexts that the Bible is talking about being filled that are much like the car is hot. And you could get really confusing because I'm like, no, 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 it's hot. I know it's hot. Stop. It could turn into that type of thing. That actually being filled 
There's segments of being filled in the Spirit that if you don't discern or don't understand Scripture in the context, you actually won't be able to enjoy to its fullness. So this morning, I just want to break that down for you, for you to understand that when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, in fact, when we read Ephesians 5.18, where it says to be filled with the Spirit, depending on who is talking about it, it could mean one of three very different things. And I want you to understand so that you're not confused because I've watched people say, I think I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, which is a kind of a scary thing. It's like your teenager saying, I think I filled the car up with gas just before you leave for work during rush hour, right? I, you need to know. And so I want you to take a quick journey with me in the remaining moments that I have. Man, Okay, so when we talk about being filled with the Spirit, it's actually, in one aspect, it's talking about being born again. And I've already drawn the analogy, and I'm just gonna reemphasize this, that when you and I are born, the Bible says that we're born in our trespasses in sin. Um, I know when we look at little tiny babies, I see Martin has Wyatt over there protecting him, celebrating with him, being grandpa of all grandpas, although I try to compete, I don't think I could beat him at grandpa. He's, he's a pretty amazing grandfather. Um, the, our children, our grandchildren, when they're born, they are cute and they are beautiful, but we do not have to teach them how to do wrong. They come up with it all on their own, all right? We actually are called to train our children to righteousness because they won't come to that on their own because they have a sin nature within them. I've had people argue with me, with me on this. I don't know. Children learn how to do evil from other people. I don't know about you. I had three kids. They grew up in a pretty isolated place. They can come up with it on their own. How does that happen? It's because sin is within them, and then we're born with sin in this world, even children. And um, what ends up happening is there's a part of us that it's actually born broken or dead, your body's alive when you're born and your, your soul's alive. Emotionally, you're charged up in mind, will, and emotions. You can learn to grow in that, but you have a spirit, part of what God created. And when that's born, it's born dead. It's like having a sail. And that, that spirit is for interacting with God. Here's what the key is. When Adam was created, his sail was up there. And when the wind blew, the presence of God he could interact with God and God could interact with him. Your spirit is how you, it's how you communicate with God. It's how you hear from God. When I say that I heard from God, God doesn't make an appointment. My ring doorbell doesn't go off. Someone's at the front door. Oh, it's God. Yeah. And God opens the door and he says, Steve, yes, Lord. Yea, I say unto you today, you shall wear that rust decorated kind of shirt is this plaid shirt that you really like today with your brown khaki pants. Yay, Lord, I, I will follow your will. God, God doesn't, has never in my lifetime spoken. I've never heard him speak audibly. But what I regularly do experience is as I hoist the sail of my spirit, I can feel pressure in directions. That's what happened to me this morning. As Abby is singing and as she's praying over us, Ah, there's a door for miracles. Oh, I could feel myself being pushed in that direction. And I waited to see, uh, you know, and Abby does a phenomenal job. And don't be afraid. If you feel led to have an altar call, just have one, okay? Amen. But 
I was like, well, we're not going to miss this moment. She, she set it up. She's teed up the ball. There's people who need a miracle. Let's step into that moment. That was, was that just a good idea? No. I mean, it is a good idea, but I could feel the pressure of the wind pushing me that way. My spirit was interacting with the spirit of God, God's presence. And because I'm trying to be in the spirit while also being in the flesh, I feel pushed that way and I yield to it and do what God has me to do. And so the spirit works that way in our lives. And our first experience with the presence of God is when the Holy Spirit is trying to reveal what Christ has done, that wind begins to blow across our lives with that sail that's really, it's more than just not opened up. It's kind of deteriorated and clumped in a ball and all that we've been through that's bad and wicked and our own sin and sin against us has crushed that sail. The goal of our life experience up till that moment is to render that sail useless. That's why you and I, we, before we come to know Jesus, we're like, Christianity is stupid. Telling the truth, yeah, if it it makes sense in that moment, yeah, but man, if telling a lie is more expeditious, so be it. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's good suggestions about how to live your life, but those are just suggestions, right? The reason why I felt that way was because my ability to experience God was not there. The sail was crushed in the bottom of the boat. But I'm telling you, when my first experience of experiencing the presence of God, somehow that wind came down into the bottom of the boat and hoisted that sail a little bit, and I could feel the wind running through a part of me that I did not know even existed. It's what some of you experience the very first time or a couple times you walk into a gathering of God's people. You're like, something's different in here. I mean, something's different. I've not been in a place like this. Or maybe it reminds you of a place you used to go years ago. And there comes that moment where it's like there's something different. The thing that's different is the wind of the Spirit of God blowing across something that should function incredibly well and guide your life, but hasn't been. And it's wanting to bring life to you. You know, when you respond to that initially, that's the idea of being born again. You were born the first time. Every, uh, yeah, I say unto you, everyone here was born at least once. I'm excellent in my prophetic skills, and I declare this morning, you have been born. But when the Bible talks here in John chapter 3 about being born again, it's the idea of being born in the Spirit. It talks about flesh and water, flesh and spirit. It's the idea that when that wind begins to blow across the sail of your life and it comes up, that you respond to it, and that brings new life. Literally, there's something that was inside of you that was dead is now alive. The best way I can describe it, again, is the sail. It's the wind. It's, it's a combination of God's spirit and your spirit coming together, and now you functioning as you were initially designed to function. Most of us, we spend our lives following after what our, what our flesh wants. And how has that worked for you? You know, Or even worse, we follow what our emotions want. Remember the day your car was the greatest thing ever? Until the payments came in, now you're feeling like it's not the greatest thing ever? Emotionally, our emotions are all over the map, and yet we follow them to so many places. And the truth is, that's how most people live their lives, either in the flesh or in the soul. But when the Spirit of God breathes across your life, there's now a new captain of the ship guiding you and directing you. 
And that's why the Bible talks about be filled with the Spirit. You actually control this moment. Now, you can hang around church. You can come and really like things. You can feel the wind blow across your face. You can put your toe in the water a little bit. But that does not necessarily mean you've said yes to following Jesus. The moment you yield to following Jesus, what you're saying is, I'm going to abandon the directions I was going before, and now I'm going to follow you to wherever you take me. And that, that moment of surrender allows the wind to come fully in your sail and begins to push you in the best direction of your life. And that's a different experience for everybody. Um, some, it's a very emotional experience. For some people, it's a, it's a very concrete uh, decision with a step forward. It's not really filled with emotion. Don't worry about the emotional part of it. Worry about the decision part of it. Much like much like a wedding. I've done lots of weddings. I've had some people cry and bawl, could barely even get the words out of their mouth. I've had grooms faint halfway through the service. I don't know, out of fear or the fact that they didn't eat anything and locked their knees and got hot and just tipped over. I don't know how you experienced your marriage, but I want to tell you one thing, that when you say, I do, and then he says, you are, regardless of how you feel, it's now a thing. But in both cases, it is about a relationship. And when you say yes to following Jesus, that spirit of the, the spirit of God, he then carries you, becomes really the one that you're actually having a relationship with. How weird would it be for you to say, I do, and get married, and go home and place the certificate of marriage on your, your counter at home, and you just spend the next 40 years like admiring the document and caring for the piece of paper and yet not having the relationship with the person this represents. And so really being filled with the Spirit, while it's, yes, he's the start of the relationship, he's also the relationship. You and I don't have to send our prayers in the New Testament up through a brass sky into the heavens for God the Father to hear because the Holy Spirit is present. He literally, as a believer, steps inside of you and resides within you. You are the New Testament temple. There doesn't need to be an Old Testament tabernacle or temple. God is not waiting for you when you come into this room. Others have carried him in here, and you bring an element of him in here, depending on whether or not you are filled. So the Bible says that uh, being filled, it's that first aspect of being hot, is being born again. So if you are a believer, you are filled with the Spirit. In fact, one of the verses behind me says that if you don't have the spirit, you can't be a believer. It's actually hand in glove. I mean, that's what makes you a believer, not a knowledge. God is not as interested in you believing in him as, you are, as he is in you surrendering your life to him, allowing the spirit of God to push against the sale of your life. Amen? Okay, so great that you believe in God. Have you said yes to following Jesus? Have you started that process? That's the key. Um, this invitation to, the invitation to believe is not enough. It's the hoisting of the sail in order to be directed into the relationship. So being filled means being born again. All believers are filled, but not all believers are filled and filled. See where I'm going with this? If you're not a believer, you're not filled any one of the three ways. You're not hot, hot, or hot. Does it make sense? But if you are a believer, you are hot, but maybe not hot and hot. 
You are filled. As a believer, you're filled. The Spirit of God resides within your life, but maybe you're not filled and filled. And I want to help you to step into those two things as well. And I might not get to the end of this, and I might have to finish it (laughs) next week. And you all can mock me, but I just don't even care. All right. Okay, let me give you the second aspect of being filled. Filled unlocks. Within your spiritual DNA, there is the recipe for power and supernatural function. This is one of the most deadly, most disturbing doctrines preached in the world today that somehow the miracles of God have ceased. I would say if the miracles of God have ceased, what is the point of praying for anything? Every time you and I are praying, we are asking God to do something supernaturally on this earth. In fact, when we asked, teach us to pray, he said to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So there's the understanding that earth does not align with heaven at times. And it's our prayer and our work, as you read other places in scripture, that bring this earth into alignment with heaven. And every time that happens, that's miraculous. If God doesn't do miracles, quit praying for grandma. Either God is doing miracles or he doesn't. Some would actually say that the reason why the miraculous things happen in the Bible is to prove that Jesus was God, which I can guess, I, I kind of get that, except there were miracles happening in the Old Testament and Jesus wasn't physically present. And after Jesus ascended to the heavens, there was still miracles happening. He had already proved, well, it was to prove that the people writing the Bible were actually, oh my gosh, people need miracles. Plain and simple, as long as there is a sick person, they need the miracle of healing. As long as there's somebody who doesn't have something they need that God has promised, they need a miracle. And within the DNA of a believer is the potential for miracles. God, while God is a miracle-working God, every Every miracle that you see happen in the New Testament is not God issuing some sort of miracle beam out of the heavens and fixing things on earth. He does the miracle on earth through other people. Now, some of you will say, well, of course Jesus did miracles. Hold on a second. Jesus was able to do miracles only through the power of the Holy Spirit. What are you talking about? He's God. Yes, but the New Testament lets us know that when he came to the earth, he humbled himself as a man. He set aside his power and was found in the form of a man. He did no miracles until a critical moment when he was baptized by John and the Bible says the spirit came down and hovered upon him in the form like as of a dove. And from that moment on, he does miracles. He didn't do it to show you that he was Jesus. In fact, he kept saying over and over, don't tell anybody about the miracles I'm doing because his first reason for doing the miracles was not to prove who he was. It was because people needed a miracle. Plain and simple, people need the miraculous in their lives because everything in this world is fighting against your life. It's fighting against the good things God has for you. Everything in this world is going to come to sabotage your life, and you're probably going to help it out along the way. But God shows up to show you that he could do above and beyond the natural. Every miracle, there's so many miracles where he made a man to see, and he's like, don't tell anyone what I just did. Why? Because he wanted this man to have the experience of the relationship 
And he's also wanting to teach the disciples this is something that you can do as well. When he sent the disciples out, the 12, he sent them off to do miracles. Did they do miracles? Yes. In fact, then he sent the 70 off and they went off and they did miracles. That was what Jesus was teaching them to do, to function in the miracle life. And within your DNA as a born-again believer, there's the same potential for miracles. But they have to be unlocked. Well, if it's God's will, he'll just unlock it. Really? Because if it was God's will for them to walk into Canaan land, wouldn't he have just opened the door and they just step in? If it was God's will for that widow whose son was on her last meal, if it was God's will for her to have some food, wouldn't he have just send a new grocery store delivery? Uh, uh, what's the food service nowadays? Uh, Instacart, Eat Hub, or whatever. Some delivery, they show up and they deliver you clothes now and medications and your food and leave it at the door, take a picture, and then take the food and go and say that you never, you did get it. Anyway, anyways, it's a whole different issue. If... Why didn't, if it was God's will, why didn't the food just show up? No, she actually had to participate in the miracle of God. God wants to do miracles, but he, he's going to do them through you. And you're going to give him glory, but you are his ambassador on the earth to extend the kingdom of God into the kingdom of this world to see people come to experience what God has for them. And part of it's the church, but part of it's you. And if you, ever get a, if you ever get your mind wrapped around this, and you ever start to dream and hunger and thirst about someone that you know that's sick, experiencing healing, and you back off this idea, I just got to get them to church. Well, that's a great idea. But inside of you is the potential for the miraculous to happen. Yes, get, a, get believers together. Get everybody together and let's pray. But you can step in in the moment, just like the disciples did, and watch the supernatural happen if you have experienced that unlocking that the Holy Spirit wants to bring into your life. I'm going to come back to this next week, okay? But let me finish with this thought. Worship team is going to jump up here with me. And I, let me give you these, just these last two verses that you can see on the screen behind me. How many of you have eagerly desired a promotion at work? There's nothing wrong with that, okay? How many of you don't even... Gonna get the first job before you can get a promotion. Anyways, I see our teen teenagers back there raising their hands. Okay, how many how many of you have who have, be honest with you? You've eagerly desired to win at something. How many of you have eagerly desired maybe a relationship that you didn't have, and you're like deep down, and you're like, really, I really want something with that person. Okay, eagerly desire. I mean. The context of those two words, eagerly desire. I can remember eagerly desiring a home, a house. As a youth pastor, you don't, you don't make tons of money. And I wasn't in a place where I could afford a house. And so I lived in parsonages. For those of you who don't know what that is, that's a house that's behind the church so that you can be there so that you can fix the photocopier for anybody who stops by the church to make copies. Oh, wait a second. You guys don't even know what a photocopier is. Never mind. I'm... <laughs> Stack, I used the guy with the chisel so that when they were making the wheels, I could sharpen the chisel so that they could make the wheels. Back with the dinosaurs. Tracking with me? Andy, is that okay? You're like, do you know what a photocopier is? Dude, and you got cool hair and you know that too? Shoot, yeah, that's a full package, lady. It's right, right there. Single ladies, see me afterwards. I'll introduce you to Andy, okay? Good dude. Um, 
Where was I going? Oh. <laughs> Sometimes I get really excited about a little joke and then I forget the whole point of what I was after. I remember when I moved to the Northwest, I didn't live in a church house behind, the, the church could afford to pay me a reasonable amount of money and I couldn't afford a house, but I could afford to rent a house. And I remember I had to cut the grass of this rental house. And every time I cut the grass, I remember cutting the grass and prophesying and just saying, God, I'm believing, I'm gonna cut this grass by faith, believing for the day where I'll own my own grass. And God, I'm gonna take care of this house as if it was mine, because if I honor what's not mine, I believe someday you'll give me what is mine. And I remember cutting the, for you grass guys, diagonals. People drive down the road and be like, snap, that guy's good. <laughs> and the next day I'd cut the grass, the next week, cut it diagonals the opposite way. Mix it up, baby. And I remember eagerly desiring a home for my family. Well, Pastor Steve, that's covetous. Stop. A house is a place that we're able to provide a gathering spot for a family. It's a place to raise your children. It's a place to worship God together as a family. It's a place to invite friends over to. It's a place to declare, it's territory that belongs to God in this world, right? And it's me owning my own thing. And listen, if you, you're renting right now, it's not any way a, a negative thing for you, but believe God to own something. Take territory, believe God for that. I couldn't afford it either. You'll never be able to afford it. Believe God, he'll show you how to do it. And uh, I eagerly desired that. But look at, look at these couple of verses. It says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. It says in the, other, in the second scripture, um, eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. You know, prophecy is just when you have a word for somebody. It's when you look at somebody and just say, I've been praying for you, and I believe that God's got something special for you. Gabrielle, I don't know what we're praying for in the altar this morning, but I'm believing you, I'm believing with you for that. We are as a church family. I don't know what it is. We're believing for that thing. Yeah. And I and and I, I I'm confident that God's gonna bring that to the past. This is gonna bring it to pass. This is part of the journey, the strength of fighting through to see what God has for you to come into reality. Okay? And I can say that with all good confidence because I know that's the heart of God. That's that's prophecy. Doesn't require a lot of faith for me to give that to you but it's still, it's still prophetic, right? Prophecy encourages people. Uh, uh, your son got a prophetic word here from one of our guest speakers a couple weeks back. Um, Isaac did about being raised up in the house of God and some of what he pushes against mom and dad is gonna be some of the stuff that God uses that for the future. How cool to hear that God has a word for your son. Very powerful. You know that God wants you to eagerly desire that because within your individual genetic code, the Bible says that we can all prophesy. I'm not talking about we can't all be prophets, but we can all prophesy. There's a difference. And those things come to pass as you eagerly, let me ask you, have you been eagerly desiring? It's okay to eagerly desire the relationship, eagerly desire the house, eagerly desire the promotion at work, but eagerly desire spiritual gifts. Because the Bible says, you have not because you ask not. And the word also says that if you ask the Father for the Holy Spirit, he will give it to you. So stand with me. We're gonna lean forward. 
We're gonna believe God. This is the month where some of you incredible things get unlocked, where there's a sense on a new level that God's presence is invading your world, where you feel moved to go and do something that you otherwise wouldn't to share a word of encouragement with someone. And as you do, not only do you share that thing that you felt that you should share, but then your mouth keeps going a little farther. You're like, whoa, I didn't even realize. And you're like, wow, God's using me, right? In every heart, look you in the eyeball. My prayer this morning is gonna be that God would turn your desire to the level called eager. That the needle for desire for spiritual things would go from maybe just on cruise control to on, ah, good to go, to eagerly desiring what God has, okay? I'll look you in the eyes, I pray for you. Father, I thank you for these good people that are in your house. I thank you for the opportunity for us to gather with such a wonderful church family. I thank you for our teachers and leaders who are speaking into the lives of our children right now. Father, I thank you that you're stirring up spiritual things within them. But in this house, Lord, you're stirring up your spirit within us. You're asking us to eagerly desire your spirit. And so right now with my mouth, I confess, I want your spirit. Come on, say it with me. I want your spirit, Lord. Lord, I want your spirit and I'm not worried that it's gonna be weird. And we've seen some weird stuff. Lord, you're not weird. I'm not weird, so it's not gonna be weird. But Lord, it's going to be real. It's going to be fresh. It's going to be powerful. I can sense it. I've had a taste of it, but I desire, eagerly desire more of it. And that's my prayer. That's our prayer for us. And Lord, we honor you in this place. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Everyone said amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to like and subscribe and visit us at c3swwa.com for more information about our church. 